this was not something where I was acting on my values uh, because I felt I had to, or because I felt compelled to, because it was something I wanted to do. And it really was quite wonderful. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. We bring you leaders acting on their environmental values because too many people told me, I want to act, but if others don't, then what I do won't matter. We're here to make it obvious that you're not alone. You're part of a global community, a majority. Also, too many people told me, doing small things doesn't make enough of a difference and big things take too much work. Action matters more than the size you start with. You'll hear how action motivates guests from small things to doing big things. You won't find guilt, blame, doom, gloom, or telling people what to do. You will find leading without relying on authority, which brings what I found missing from acting on environmental values. Joy, discovery, growth, community, meaning, purpose, value, sharing. With global demand for environmental action, I bet you'll see that acting on your values doesn't distract from your life and career. Following these leaders' footsteps and beyond enjoying the environment, I bet you'll see promotions, raises, more loyalty and trust in your relationships, and more. I assume if you're listening to the Leadership in the Environment podcast that you care about your effect on the environment and on other people through it. Do you still put off acting on these cares because you see them as a distraction, as keeping you away from getting ahead in other leadership areas? How would you like to have more time? Because listening to Vincent Stanley, you'll hear that acting on these values gives him more time. Shutting off technology creates for him more time and more creativity. This generally happens with constraints that they promote creativity. So you'll get to hear Vincent talking about how acting on his values has created more of what he wants in his life. And that's the same as will happen with you. We also talk a bunch about introductions of new processes for B Corps and all business sorts of things because he's a very successful businessman. We also talk about Patagonia and why suing the government is a cultural thing, not a PR thing. So let's listen to Vincent. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Josh Spodek, and I'm here with Vincent Stanley. Vincent, how are you doing? Okay, thanks for having me here. Yeah, and thanks for coming over. Uh, people, you can't hear this, but he's actually at my place, and uh, I'm honored to have you here. Mostly, I'm really curious about, you had one of the more interesting challenges that you took on, and because a lot of people interpret, people have been interpreting environment differently for me, and I always thought everyone saw it the way that I did, and one of the joys of this podcast is people interpreting these things differently. And so yours was certainly meeting all the criteria that I was looking for of using less stuff, you know, polluting less. But it's also much more about your personal environment. Or what, what did you do over the past couple of weeks? Um, <clears throat> what we talked about, it was, an, it was interesting because you, you asked me to do something differently than I've done before. And one of the things that, um, that I, when I was looking at my life that I uh, felt lacking was, was a feeling of overconnection to electronics um, and to the computer and to the phone. And, and so what I proposed was to take Friday mornings and, um, and uh, not get in, open the electronics until about 11 o'clock. The other thing I'd wanted to do for about a year and a half was to get back into writing uh, poems. And so on that, I, I decided that I would write a poem on, uh, uh, on those days. And I was not taking the time off. Um, it was a working, those, the, the Friday mornings were dedicated to work, but first to the poem and then to reading for uh, a nonfiction book I'm working on. Okay, when you say it's not taking time off, I mean, you've written a book, at least, at least one book of poetry. 
And so do you mean that the writing poetry is work for you? Is it Patagonia work or is it personal work? It's work. Okay. Is it? It's funny because uh, I think of like creative endeavors is everyone looks at the result and thinks, oh, this is um, pretty if it's a painting, but it's work. No, it's extraordinary work. I, I have friends who are painters and it's very hard, concentrated work to do creative work. It's a lot of fun, but it's uh, not the same as taking time off. Mm-hmm. So is it, uh, okay, so the mo- Friday mornings you're taking time totally disconnected. I feel funny because I just put a microphone on you. <laughs> like literally you're wearing something that I gave yeah, to you. Sorry. It's but it's Friday afternoon, so I guess. <laughs> yes, it's Friday afternoon. It's funny with all these little challenges. I always have these little like technically I'm following the rules and so forth. And that's something you weren't doing before. So what was it like? How did the experience go? Um, I've been half successful. Okay. So the first thing that I noticed, which was really uh, quite extraordinary, is the first day, I did this in January, so I think it's been about 15 Fridays. And the first thing I noticed was how much time opened up. As a matter of fact, it was a little disconcerting. Less electronics, more time. Much more time. Uh It felt like the longest morning I'd had in a long time. And I think partly because the nature of electronics, I'm susceptible to distraction in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I'll end up, you know, starting one email, something comes in, and I have to respond to something else, and then I have to check another file or Google something in order to respond to such and such. And by within an hour, I find myself, you know, open on seven or eight screens and with three different unfinished things going. And so what happened without the computer, I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. So I was just sitting in my chair, and usually... When I write poems, I, um, I usually write them on the typewriter. And I usually have a, a very pretty hard time with the first draft. And then I sit and I work them over and over again. And since I couldn't use the computer, what I did was just to write, write down the poem in a notebook. And it came in about five minutes. And although I've edited it since, it pretty much kept its form. And so all of a sudden, I had dedicated this three hours to working on a poem, and I had a poem within five or ten minutes, so I spent the rest of the time reading and making notes for the, for the book I'm working on. Mm-hmm. The part that hasn't work, worked out so well is gradually that time has shrunk. Mm-hmm. I've allowed it to shrink. I have written a poem every time, and they've all come rather quickly. Mm-hmm. There are three weeks that I didn't do this because I was traveling, Mm-hmm. So I wasn't, I wasn't in a space where I could sit down and, and, and work. But the next step that I want to do is to go back and, and arrange my time to take that full, that full two and a half hours, because I think it's really worthwhile. I mean, it's one thing to disconnect from work and, and, and exercise or uh, go out and look at trees. It's another thing to actually um, engage in work but be separate from the electronic world. It's really a gift. So I thank you for asking me to do that. It's not something I would have volunteered to do on my own. Yeah. What I try to do is ask, I try to ask people what their values are. This is leadership in the environment, so environmentally related. And then to act on those values. And what I hear you describing is what a lot of people get, which is certainly what I get, which is when you live by your values, life is better. I mean, value, value means like what's better and what's worse. And People can debate philosophy about what a, what a value is and things like that. But ultimately, if, if you know your values and you act on them, that improves your life. No, I, think that's, I, I, I think that that's very interesting. And, 
and true. I, you know, I can tell you in my in my own case, I think I mentioned to you that in our household, it's my wife who tends to be the one who says, okay, we've we've got to make a change here. We're composting in New York. Composting in New York is not very easy to do. She's the one who says, okay, this this is something we, we have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 10 years ago, it was, we're, we live in California, so you have to have cars. Um, 10 years ago, was we have to, this time we have to buy a hybrid. Last year, when we had to replace a car, okay, this now we've got to get a, an electric. She's much more in, engaged in matching her personal behavior to her values than I am. I'm actually much more interested in how my environmentalism has really been related to the Patagonia story and re- related to what the community has done, mm-hmm. to what people have done together to make changes. And, I, and also I had a, um, I think I have a bias against the idea of, of uh, I, I grew up in the 60s and there was something called the human potential movement. Mm-hmm. And the idea was that if you transformed yourself, you would be a better person in the world you would transform communities and eventually everyone would create a better world. And what I saw, because my, my, my family was engaged with this and with a number of friends, is that people would kind of work on themselves, but they wouldn't take that next step of actually changing the way they behaved. And what's interesting to me about this, this little tiny change that you invited me to do is that was a, a revelation for me that I could actually, that this was not something where I was acting on my values uh, uh, because I felt I had to, or because I felt compelled to, because it was something I wanted to do. And it really was quite wonderful to do. I'm glad to hear. I mean, that, I'm, I'm hoping to bring wonder to people. And it's not, I'm not bringing it. I think I'm taking away, I'm helping people take away what was getting in the way of it. I'm sure that most people think of their computers filled with, time-saving apps, you know, convenient things. And it doesn't add up to, it's like all these little paths that every step seems like it's taking in a direction of saving time and so forth. But if you just keep replacing it with more and more of the same, you just have more stuff. You started getting to the emotion of it. I think the feeling. So one was, there's what you did, but then how you felt about it. And you started, can you share more about that? What was really great was just the, was being in a, just taking that time, I think, as I entered very quickly into the kind of neutral space you need to be in to, to write a poem or to, because that requires, you, you can't be distracted while you're writing a poem. You're really drawing one of the, the, the elements of writing a poem is to draw different kinds of images or different kinds of ideas together and have them make some kind of sense that you're presenting things in, in opposition in a way that's surprising to the mind. So you really have to be um, in, a, in an open frame of mind to do that. So w- what surprised me was how, 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 uh, how easy it was. What you're saying sounds profound. I mean, it sounds like a significant change. How much of this would you have said before this challenge, and how much of it came specifically from that? Because I feel like some of it's more than just a couple weeks' worth of Yeah, no, I, I think the feeling about the screen goes back to, goes back 40 years to, you know, the difference between, I mean, people were watching television habitually before everybody got, in, uh, got engaged in computers. And, and, I, and I think that there's, there's been a lot written and people have spoken about it and, and some of it is my observation, some of it is, received wisdom that, you know, the difference between 
uh, re- reading a book, for instance, is a very different experience than um, than watching a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, just because there's more of you left alone in some way. I'm glad that you brought it. When you were talking about the uh, connecting with the natural world and operating on its time scales, that connects with me, but not nearly as much as satisfaction. Like my own my own personal feeling when when I was a kid and I ate a Dorito, it was crunchy and full of flavor and vibrant in my mouth. And compared to that, a slice of kohlrabi is really flavorless. And when when you make the shift, it seems like you're giving up all the flavor and crunchy, crispity, crunchity, you know. And then when you get to the kohlrabi, I'm in the middle of it right now of not putting salt on anything. So I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm, my food is, has been bland. It's getting less bland. But you know, you know where I'm going. It's like, after a while, the kohlrabi has so much more flavor or just, you know, a slice of apple. And that other thing was just like, it's like Times Square, blah, in your face. Yeah. And I don't know if, if the way that I feel now, if I, if I ran into me from 20 years ago or 30 years ago, if I would have gotten through to myself, if that person then would be like, have your kohlrabi. I don't care what that is. You know, give me this fun stuff. No, I understand. I mean, you can, you, you know, at a certain point, you can't eat a Twinkie anymore because it doesn't. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I, I, I don't want to eat any Twinkies. <laughs> I don't think of like the things I would rather eat than Twinkies, like everything else. But I, I think the other thing we need to look at in, in general is that there are certain kinds of experience that have become harder. There's some kind, certain kinds of experience that are much easier to come by now and they were not even possible 10 years ago. And, but certain things are harder to come by. For instance, it's, I think it's really hard to have a sense of common space that's not commercial. Yeah. And that's a tremendous loss. Are you enjoying meeting this guest? Are you thinking about what you care about? I recommend making it active. Think about what you could do, not just analyze and plan, not do what others tell you to, but to live by your values. You'll enjoy your results, People will follow you more than you think, and you'll impact more than you expect. Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast for examples of what others have done. I, I came across an article in GQ or Esquire a little while ago, and it was interviewing Yvonne. And the guy was saying, yeah, you're, I guess it was about uh, suing the federal government over uh, Bears Ear. And he says, you know, this, you're doing this stuff. It happens to be good marketing too. Or he, I'm not sure if he's kind of saying... It's like, it's marketing. And he's saying, yeah, we don't find a problem with it, but he's kind of implying, yeah, maybe there's a little bit of uh, cleverness there. Like you're, you're, and there's an idea that I've been working on for a while, which is that people say that vegetables are healthy. So if you eat vegetables, it'll, it'll help prevent cancer. Logically, it's the same to say, if you don't eat vegetables, you're increasing your risk of, chan- of cancer. I think that, but one way says it's normal not to eat vegetables, and the other says it's normal to eat vegetables. And I like to think of eating vegetables as normal. And so, Yvonne said, "How could I not do this stuff? How could I? What do you say?" And he said, um, "All these other companies aren't doing like they'll maybe on Black Friday they'll like tone it down a little bit, but they won't really stop." And I'm thinking, it's not that that having the company do live by the values of the people in the company that that helps sales i think it's that if you don't live by the values that will hurt sales this way normalizes 
living by your values and acting on your values. This all came back to what we started, what you said at the beginning was acting, behaving, being cons behaving consistent with your values. I think that what you're doing, you Patagonia, this community is normal. Mm -hmm. Everyone's free to define normal how they want. So I'm not trying to prescribe for other people, but to sue the federal government for taking away something that you feel is a public space. Why would that be out of the ordinary? That, that would be ordinary. And if that generates sales, I think it's otherwise saying not doing that makes you less integrated. Right. I, I think that that's why I, I think we felt, um, that was a normal part of our work, uh, to sue the government on bear's ears. I and mean, then part of it, we'd been, we'd been engaged in the fight to preserve bear's ears, um, that, uh, you know, Obama in the closing days of administration protected it. And then it was decimated when uh, Trump came in. But the, the other, so I think that, that that was sort of normal for us. It was not a, you know, we didn't spend a lot of time saying, do, are we going to do this? It was like, okay, this, this is something we're going to do. We're going to join with the other people who are suing. But the other thing about, you know, the point Evo made, I think, is that you, if we're going to call attention to ourselves as a company and we're, we're selling, we're making things and we're selling things, that let our message be on behalf of something that we do value rather than fostering our name on buses. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. that, that's one way to spend the money. I would think that if someone proposed, let's not sue the federal government, let's, that would create more discussion. I'm guessing. I've never been in one of your meetings. I'm guessing people are like, can we do that? Can we not do that? Why would we not do that? Other places, it's a given. I don't see... I'm not going to name other companies, but lots of other companies are not doing it. And somehow it's easier for them not to. And I, I, and I think that that's been an interesting thing about Patagonia is that process of living by our values has become um, um, more active and more consistent over, over time. It was interesting that I was in a meeting a, a couple of weeks ago with uh, um, a Danone North America just became the largest B Corp at six there's six billion dollars, and there's never been a B Corp that size. And the the uh, owner, uh, not the owner, but the uh, the CEO of Danone uh, worldwide, who's French uh, and a climber, said that he wants to make the, his entire company, which is like thirty billion dollars in sales, a B Corp. And he said that one of the inspirations of going down this path was when Patagonia produced our ad that said don't buy this jacket in 2011 and he looked at that and he said it was the first time he realized that he could appeal to customers and to his community on the basis of value rather than instincts that's the phrase he used mm -hmm. which i think is um is very interesting to that that and and, and that we would be considered so Unusual because we're appealing to people on the basis of values, and not on the base basis of of of, of 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 something that's less conscious. Yeah, and a lot of advertising is trying to get you on on like the base things of like fear or anxiety or aspiration, and and that's just like uh, like a jolt, not like a value. Yeah. But as soon as you said, I was like, yes, I never thought of that. So you you guys triggered that in him. We triggered that in him, and you know, and and um, which is great because six years later, they're they're doing something that 
no corporation in the world that size has done. And does that mean so that so them being a B Corp instead of I guess a C Corp would mean that they are they they must have put something in there to say we are something other than shareholder value. Do you know what they put in? Yeah, they have. Well, it's complicated. But the simple story is that when they when they become a certified B Corp, they they take an uh, impact assessment, and you have to score a certain number of points in order to become a B Corp. That's independently verified, and then every two years you go through another assessment, and, and it's a fairly holistic, pretty rigorous assessment of all your practices, how you treat your employees, how you behave in the community, um, um, your environmental impact directly and through the supply chain, um, and um, they they plan to do take three years to go through this process, mm-hmm. and they did it in one year. Uh-huh. And partly because they were so into it. It's not because anybody weakened the standards. It's because everybody really got behind the idea. They got very passionate about it. it e- even in the U.S., there were like 150 people directly involved in gathering all the data and doing all the work to make this happen. But it was primarily um, the younger people who drove it. And also um, uh, there, there were other folks, notably a, a, a woman who had been uh, head of Nabisco in China, uh-huh. who was actually embedded by Danone into the B-Lab organization because this organization had never assessed the practices of a company that large. Right. So she was helping them out, saying, okay, how can we make this work? Reminds me of you, of you guys with the, with the cotton, because I yeah. think that was ahead of schedule. It wasn't. It wasn't ahead of schedule, but it was on schedule, and okay. that was yeah. So the, my takeaway from this is that what what another main thing that I want this podcast to be about is the antidote to what I believe is the phrase of our era is I want to act, but if no one else does, then what I do doesn't really make a difference. So I'll just keep doing what I used to do. You didn't know that you were going to influence Danone to become the biggest B Corp ever, and it's. It doesn't sound like it's going to stop with them. Like that's the high watermark of B Corps. That's going to Except trigger more. It's the opening side. Yeah. So everyone who's listening at home and thinking, well, what I do doesn't really matter. Well, here it, it seems does. to have mattered. Yeah. No, it does. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing that I've learned. The, the great thing about having been at Patagonia for 45 years and, and seen this company as a kind of laboratory for change is that I've ended up much less cynical at the age of 66 than I was when I was 40 because I've seen precisely how these small actions have snowballed and how they have changed people as individuals and how they have changed the way the company behaves and I've seen that the companies, the, what the company does actually produces less harm and some more real good in the world. So it does, it matters a huge amount and it really matters how people, um, behave in their work lives, because that's where most of the harm is done. Yeah. It, it makes, when you do, when you act by your values and others are not, you are leading. Now, they may not follow, so that may take a few extra steps, but that's, the opposite would be not leadership. I think people have an, a strange idea of leadership. I think people have, people have the, the traditional idea of the, kind of borrowed from the military or the Catholic Church of of, of, of somebody who's got an awful lot of power and is directing a, a lot of people or is uh, 
or is um, has a persuasive personality or twists arms, when in fact leadership is is persuasion and often persuasion by example. And often leaders do not have the personalities that you would expect. They don't have the Trumpian personality. Um, uh, and often leadership is exercised in groups. It's not done by a particular individual. It can be it can be a group of people who if you are acting on values and you're doing something new, that group in itself becomes collectively a leader. This sounds like something you teach at Yale. You know, I don't treat you. It's, it's really my. I, I do talk about that every once in a while, but I not not actually not much at Yale. I want to ask you two things. One is, um, if you have anything to close with to say to the listeners directly, and the other is, at your option, maybe if one. If one thing by living by environmental values improved your life a little bit, then maybe something else would do more. So I wonder if you'd be interested in taking on another challenge. If, would it work if we, if I, if I uh, exercise the second part of this commitment, taking the full three hours? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, just to close off, is there anything that, from the experience, that you want to share with listeners? Yeah, I, I think just to sum up that it's um, if you make a personal change in favor of the the world in some way, or in favor of a kind of experience that you're not used to having, um, that there's a, a tremendous kind of personal liberation and benefit from it. And then the second thing I would just say is that there is so much that's needed to um, heal uh, the natural world and to heal the social world um, that whatever, you know, whatever changes we pursue or whatever satisfactions we pursue, that if they help us, help us in that direction, that uh, that's better for everything. He described his experience as wonderful. Do you want more wonderful things in your life? But do you think, but I have to work. Well, Patagonia's revenues are in the hundreds of millions of dollars a year. He's a businessman. He teaches at Yale School of Management. It's not like he lives in a different world where somehow he's got more free time than anybody else. So maybe it's the other way. Living by your values leads to success, not that you need success in order to live by your values. For me, my experience, this awesome guy was chilling at my place. He was in my apartment doing this. Leadership roles, becoming peers with other leaders is waiting for you if you act on your values. I think acting on your values leads to success like that. It leads to membership and communities of leaders of other people who live by their values. Trying to think of stuff to do, you could start the next Leadership in the Environment podcast. Are you the member of a group that I'm not a member of that you could speak to in this way? And you could get guests that mean to you what Vincent Stanley and all my other guests have meant to me that I wouldn't be able to get. There's a leadership role among many others. If you like what I'm doing and you want to do some version of it, contact me. It's waiting to be done. Does hearing leaders acting on their values make you think of yours? Nothing will make you feel better than acting on them. Value means better. Acting on your values means improving your life. Committing publicly helps many people and builds community too. If you want, Click on Commit to a Personal Challenge to share what you do with this community. You'll be a leader among leaders. We're more than a podcast. We're a movement to share how acting on environmental values means fun, joy, growth, and so on, not sacrifice or deprivation. If you want to join or help, contact me at joshatspodak.net or at joshuaspodak.com slash podcast. You'll grow as a leader, you'll enjoy yourself, and the world and your communities will thank you for it.